Welcome to a Bible study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel. This is a recording that I do of a weekly Monday night Bible study every Monday night at 7.30 at St. Timothy Catholic Church in Laguna Niguel. If you're interested in joining us live, please email me and let me know or just show up in person. We'd love to have you. But without further ado, enjoy this recording of a Bible study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to encounter you in sacred scripture, to be renewed, refreshed, and inspired by the words you speak to us and have in store for us in our study. We pray, Lord, that our hearts, our minds, our spirits would be open to receive you and whatever you have in store, and that you would remove from us any distractions, worries, or anxieties, anything that is drawing us away from our focus during this time. We pray that you would bless us each in the ways that we most need it. And as we read these words of sacred scripture, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be obvious and be specific in the ways that you are convicting us, challenging us, blessing us, speaking love and affirmation into our lives. And so I pray, God, that this time would be anointed. We lay this time at your feet, and we pray in all things that your will be done. We pray all of this in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, so good to be with you, my friends and family at St. Timothy's and beyond. Uh, We are recording this Bible study in advance because we will not be meeting in person uh, the day it comes out on December 26th because we are on break, uh, but we'll be back next week. So uh, at this point, we're going to study the upcoming Sunday Gospel, which is the Gospel for New Year's Day, January 1st. It is also the octave of Christmas Day and the solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God. And so it's quite a mouthful. So uh, the Gospel is Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. And so we have here part of the uh, aftermath of the birth narrative of Jesus. After he is born, we have an episode of what happens next. And next Sunday, uh, the next Bible study, the following Sunday, is the Feast of the Epiphany, where we'll hear kind of the aftermath of the birth narrative in Matthew. And so there's a bit of a compare and contrast these two weeks. This week, we're going to hear the story of the shepherds and how they come and encounter and worship Jesus. Next week, we're going to hear the encounter of the three magi, or not three, but the Magi, the kings, uh, as they're sometimes called, from the east who come and worship Jesus. And so we have this kind of compare and contrast between these two gospels, these two groups who come to adore the newborn Jesus. And so for our purposes, we'll be reading that first account, Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. And I want to paint the picture here a little bit. So Jesus has been born, and then there is a scene where there are shepherds standing in a field with their sheep at night, watching over their flock. And an angel of the Lord appears to them. They're struck with great fear, but the angel announces them that they bring good news of great joy, that for today a Savior has been born for them, a Messiah in the city of David, and that they will find him laying as an infant in swaddling clothes in a manger. And then the heavenly host sings glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And the angels depart. So now, In our gospel, we have what takes place after that, after the angels come to speak to the shepherds out in the fields. So our first time through, Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Paint this image in your mind as you hear it being proclaimed. 
The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So now you may have a simple image of this in your mind, of the shepherds coming and seeing uh, Mary and Jesus and Joseph uh, and whatever else, whoever else is there. We see many different depictions of modern nativity scenes with quite a few animals and other uh, people there, shepherds, angels, and all of that. So have that image in your mind. What time of day is it? We know that they appeared at night. Maybe it took a little bit to get there, but you know how this, how this looks in your mind. And now that you have that image in mind, let's focus now on the words as they're being read. Close your eyes or follow along and just try and empty your mind of everything else but the words and pay specific attention to, is there a word or a phrase that strikes you, captures you, reminds you of a thought, a memory, relates to a question or an issue going on in your own life? You'll know it when it happens. It'll seem kind of out of nowhere, just something sparks. It might take you reading it a second time uh, after this to, to really get what that is, but pay attention for that. Listen for it. When you figure out what that word or that phrase is, maybe it happens multiple times, underline that thing or those words and begin to reflect on them. What are you trying to say to me, Lord? Why this? What are you trying to compel me to do? Second time through, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 16. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you at this time to take a moment to reflect on the things that stood out to you. You can pause this video at this moment to do that uh, and see what kind of comes up in prayer, what questions are inspired. Please leave those reflections and those questions in the comments below or in the live chat so you can share them with those who are also watching. And we'll make sure that those questions, especially those in the comments, get answered. Uh, so feel free to pause now if you have not yet done so, if you want to reflect, if you want to discuss, if you're sitting with other people uh, to see what stood out to them and why, and then you can restart this video uh, or start playing the rest of this video after so you can get a more in-depth description of this passage, or you can wait to do that at the end. So without further ado, we're going to continue and move into this passage line by line. So it's interesting here that these angels appear to these shepherds, shepherds and uh, then the angels leave. And uh, the shepherds react immediately. This is indicative of kind of the, uh, the way that God works in unexpected ways and works through people who are able and willing to just drop everything to answer the call of God. You know, when Jesus calls the first fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John, it says immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. 
This is a precursor to that where these shepherds are doing the same thing. Now, ironically, this happens is particularly highlighted in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus tends to choose and God tends to work through those who are the unexpected, the outcast. You know, fishermen and shepherds had very cumbersome trades that involved a lot of time and a lot of effort, and it allowed them not always the opportunity to be really strict on following the Mosaic law when it comes to things like the Sabbath, the meticulous hand washings that happened at the time that were recommended by the Pharisees called the traditions of the elders, and other practices like that, that people who were trying to put on this persona that they were very holy and following the law could do. Uh, Fishermen and shepherds really didn't have the time for that, and they were constantly around dirty animals, fish, sheep, smelling like their work, um, you know, obviously, obviously focused on that to provide a living. And so it's not always easy to just leave. You know, if you leave and you're not fishing, you don't make money, you don't get food for that day. If you leave your flock, who knows what's going to happen to them. And so you kind of constantly have to be bending or even breaking the Sabbath and Mosaic laws to just hold down your job and your role in society to keep eating, putting food on the table. So note, it's not anyone particularly glorious or famous or uh, noteworthy that is chosen, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus becoming man, of Jesus being God, being the Messiah and being born, is proclaimed to these lowly shepherds who are out in the field in the middle of the night. Very unexpected, unexpected time of day, unexpected audience, and then we have this unexpected response. That those people who were reading this at the time probably would have thought, oh, these shepherds aren't going to do anything. Let's see what happens. And then all of a sudden they have this deep, rich, devoted faith where they just drop everything. They don't care about what happens to their flocks. And they go in haste to Bethlehem. Do we have that kind of faith? You know, the things that God has called us to do. And do we have a ability to see how God is working in unexpected ways? Something to think about in this Christmas season. We continue. Make haste to Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. Uh, And so literally it is where Jesus, who is the living bread, the bread from heaven, uh, becomes flesh, happens in the city of David in Bethlehem. And they find Mary and Joseph... And the infant lying in the manger, just as the angels had proclaimed a few verses for as they would. So they know this is the infant about whom they are speaking. Now, what's interesting here, uh, this happens on that very night when the baby was born. So they are still in the stable, uh, still in the area where they gave birth, lying in a manger. Next week, when we talk about the Magi, uh, that they're clearly in a house. That's even mentioned a couple times, that they visit them in a home in Bethlehem. So these are two different occurrences that happened at two different times in two different spaces, okay? But the one with the shepherds is happening immediately. At that, that very night that Jesus is born, the shepherds are announced this message by the angel, and they go and they see Jesus in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told to them about this child. Immediately, like pay attention here. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of follow the trajectory of the shepherds, and also follow the trajectory of Mary and Joseph, particularly Mary, and some things that she does here to kind of read out of that how, what we can get from this reading. What are some practical things that we can be doing in our own faith, how we can follow their example to be more fervent, to be more faithful. And so the shepherds, we already talked about, they drop everything. They go in haste. They don't ask questions. And then what do they do? They proclaim the message that has been shared with them. So not only do they respond by turning away from one path in life, that's another word for that is repenting or a metanoia, a conversion. They turn from one thing to another immediately. 
And then they begin to proclaim the good news of great joy that has been shared with them. What a great model for discipleship, that God is seeking to come and break into your life the ordinary things that you're doing, whatever the equivalent of your tending sheep in a field is. And he wants you to not drop all of your responsibilities, but recognize you have a mission and to go fulfill that mission. And how you do that is you go where the Lord leads and you proclaim the message that he has shared with you. You proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that has hopefully changed your life. Verse 18, all who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. All who heard it. Who else is there? You know, the Magi aren't there yet. They're not even mentioned. Uh, Mary and Joseph have already been mentioned, so this implies that there are more people there, that other people beyond the shepherds, perhaps uh, people in the town of Bethlehem, other people from the surrounding area, they've seen the star in the sky, perhaps. They've heard about something incredible going on. Uh, They heard about even this couple who couldn't find room at the inn, and then all of a sudden there's a baby crying in the stable, and people are wondering in these small towns where there's no, like, privacy or closed doors or windows often, hearing this baby crying, trying to figure out what's going on, and then having this profound encounter of adoration with the Lord, uh, all of them kind of gathering around. So whoever was there, maybe they were there just because they heard a commotion. They saw the star. They weren't really sure about this child. And the shepherds get to be the ones who announce this and amaze everyone. Mary and Joseph already knew this proclamation was not for them. There obviously had to be other people around who needed this to be proclaimed to them. It could have been the owner of the stable or the place where they had this child, the innkeeper, whoever is there uh, in the town at this time. Remember, there are a lot of people there because they're in Bethlehem for the census. Everyone had to return to the city of their family's origin, um, their tribal identity to be counted. And so there are a lot more people in the town than normal, a lot of a commotion could have been happening at this time. And so the shepherds help direct why this is so important and speak to this gathering of people, however small or large it may have been, that have kind of come upon what happened with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Verse 19, And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. And I think you have similar language here to when uh, Mary presents Jesus in the temple with Joseph. Um, and Simeon proclaims that, you know, you too, a sword shall pierce your heart, like proclaims this kind of difficult message about the future of Jesus's ministry. I think even when the angel comes to the Lord at the Annunciation, or comes to Mary at the Annunciation, there's similar language here that she ponders these things in her heart. And I'm going to return to this when we kind of track the trajectory of Mary in a moment, uh, some things that we can learn from her and how she handles this. Verse 20, then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. So they continue preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. This reminds me of a verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. In this verse, uh, Peter and John, I believe, are two apostles, and they've been arrested by the Sanhedrin. And this is not long after Jesus has uh, resurrected and and ascended into heaven. They've received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This is just two chapters later. So Paul's done a little bit of preaching, or sorry, Peter's done a little bit of preaching. Uh, There's been a little bit of some, um, you know, excitement. There's a cure of a crippled beggar. And then all of a sudden there's this commotion going on that, hey, these people are proclaiming that this Jesus person rose from the dead, and they come and they arrest them. This is the same group of people who had Jesus crucified. And so Peter and the apostles, who were very meek before, uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit, who previously had fleed from the danger of the Sanhedrin when Jesus was arrested. They now stand before them, and the Sanhedrin tells them and orders them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
And this is what it says. Peter and John, however, said to them in reply, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judges. But it is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. That is what happens when our life is truly changed by Jesus. I think this offers an opportunity for us to really ask ourselves in this Christmas season uh, and this, just this time in our lives, what is my faith in? And what is my faith a response to? Is my faith in a community, a particular priest or pastor, a particular upbringing that I had, a sense of comfort and feeling like I belong to my family and practicing my faith? Those things are not what religion is about. Those things are not what Catholicism is about. It is about Jesus having a relationship with God who revealed himself in such a way that he died for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to him and we could know him intimately. And not only that, we could be partakers of the divine nature. We could become part of his family. We could be renewed, transformed into the people that he created us to be. That everything that we've done, all the mistakes that we've made, they can be forgiven. And the old self can be wiped away and we can be created anew, born anew through baptism into a new life in Jesus Christ. And that old life and that sin, all those things that we have done that we continue to struggle with, those things deserve us hell. That we are just on a trajectory toward death and punishment and suffering because we turn away from God constantly. And Jesus said, no, I don't want that to be your reality anymore. I am going to come and take that punishment on myself and I'm going to save you and set you free so that you can live in perfect freedom with me, perfect love and unity and joy with me in heaven forever. Now, if that hasn't struck your life, if that hasn't transformed your life, if you haven't been able to see that, then we can't possibly be on the same trajectory as the shepherds yet. We have to have that encounter, have that anticipation of knowing Jesus and have that moment where we decide to drop our nets, to leave behind our sheep. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying leave behind your life or your family or your children. No, by no means. But leave behind the worldly attachments that we rely on for our identity or even our wealth, our sustenance, and trust that the Lord has a direction for me, a plan for me, a mission, and he will provide and I can trust in him because what he offers is so much more than I can find anywhere else. And I can try and control my life and satisfy these desires for truth, goodness, and beauty and love, but nothing on earth will satisfy them except for him. And so I'm going to turn away from all of that other stuff and I'm going to turn to him because he is the only source of real forgiveness, love, and belonging in this world, in any world. And that can change everything. That should change everything. And when it does, why would we not want to proclaim that good news to everyone else? Why would we not want to share that with people who don't know it? Because there's so many broken people in our broken world, so many people who think there's no hope, there's no point to living, who see themselves as a mistake because of their traumatic upbringing, abuse that's happened, things that have happened in their past, see their lives as going nowhere because they've struggled with addiction or they feel like they can't get out from under some kind of crippling debt or identity disorder or whatever it might be. Or they see all of their hope, all of their eggs in this one basket of this thing is going to make me happy. And they pursue that and pursue that and pursue that. And either they don't get it or they get it and it wasn't the satisfying thing they thought it would be. All of those people and more are hungry for the truth. The truth that only deep love, satisfaction, purpose comes from Jesus Christ. So we have a responsibility and a joyful ability to share that with them. That is what the shepherds can teach us. And that 
comes with that boldness of Peter and John in that scene I read, that they're willing to even take this to their death because death isn't the end. They recognize like this is about life and life eternal, and it's the greatest gift, the greatest truth, the greatest thing that has ever happened, and people need to know about that. Verse 21, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay, so this was a customary part of the Mosaic law. Even before that, this was uh, part of the covenant with Abraham. God appears to Abraham uh, in, uh, and speaks to Abraham multiple different ways, and he promises him this covenant, a covenant that is a covenant of blessing, that he will be the father of a great nation, a chosen people, and that that blessing will come with a promised land and an identity as the chosen people of God. And so um, Abraham becomes the father of faith. And part of that covenant, a sign of that covenant, is that all people in his family and for generations to come need to be circumcised. So this is in Genesis chapter uh, 17, verse 10. This is the covenant between me and you and your descendants after you that you must keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Circumcise the flesh of, your, of the foreskin, that will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout the ages, every male among you, when he is eight days old, shall be circumcised, including house-born slaves and those acquired with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. So literally everyone in Israel and everyone attached to any household in Israel needs to go through this covenant. So why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, first of all, this is a covenant, and a covenant is a sacrificial exchange between two people. It's an offering of self to someone else who is offering themselves back to you. The best equivalent that we know is a marriage. Two people say, I do promise to give you everything, every part of me, my whole body, mind, soul, sacrificially for you, and I receive that back from you, no matter the circumstances, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for as long as we both shall live, etc. So that's what a covenant is. But a covenant means there has to be a sign of the sacrifice. Now, when we get married, that sign is the exchange of rings, the changing of names, like the joining of two families, the ceremony of the marriage, the consummation of the marriage. All of that is part of it because you are being vulnerable to one another. You're sacrificing, you're offering yourself to the other person in a unique way that you're not supposed to offer yourself to anybody else. So the same thing is true here with Abraham. This was not something that was customary at the time, but it involved a real sacrifice and it involved a sacrifice of offering our bodies part of our bodies to the Lord and marking ourselves as set apart, as different from people around us, so that there could be no obvious or even um, subtle intermingling between people. Everyone would know if they were going to get married, if they were going to be intimate with someone, if that male was part of the family or the household of God or not. And so that is why it was so important to designate them as set apart. So this process continues, and what's important about this is that both John the Baptist and Jesus, these two very important figures, Jesus obviously much more important, both of them undergo this circumcision. It says this about um, John the Baptist in Luke 1.59, and then it says it here about Jesus also. They did the customary thing at the prescribed eight days they were completed. This was considered a process so sacred and so necessary that even though so many things were forbidden on the Sabbath, circumcision could and should happen on the Sabbath if it was the eighth day after the child was born. So this was something that was like, you always did this, no matter what. No matter the feast day, no matter what was going on, this was happening um, all the time. And then that was the moment when you would name the child, because that was the moment where they had an identity. They were now part of the family of God, and this is when their identity takes shape, because their name in that time and culture 
represented a part of their essence, their mission, who they were called to be. And the name Jesus literally means God saves. And so that is his mission, to teach us that God saves us and to actually be the instrument of our salvation. So that's what is known, what is proclaimed on the day of their uh, presentation in the temple to be circumcised. And this is the name given him uh, by the angel. It's given both in Luke uh, one thirty one and it's given in Matthew one twenty one. I believe it's given to, jo- to Joseph in that scene. Um, but this is the name given, and this is uh, a way that they are faithful, not only to their Jewish customs, but also to what the angel of the Lord has asked of them. And so, I want to track for a moment Mary's faithfulness through here. Uh, and Joseph as well, but Mary is, is spoken of a little bit more frequently in this passage, so that we can kind of glean from that how we can faithfully respond to God. How do we faithfully respond to God so that we can be like the shepherds? We can convert, uh, have moments of conversion. We can have these moments of transformation that change our lives so that we can go proclaim the good news to other people. And so what does Mary do in this scene? Mary, uh, she stays in one place. She allows the shepherds to come to her. She stays there enjoying this time with her newborn child uh, and and is responsible for for him in, in that place. Okay, so she stays. She also ponders things in her heart. She prays over them, and then she obeys not only the angel of the Lord, but also the Mosaic law. So Mary stays, prays, and obeys. Think about those three things and use them as kind of a litmus test for your own life. Do you have the ability to stay? How are you at being present? Are you distracted? Are you running left and right because there's so much to do? There's so much noise and busyness in your life. And what's the motivation behind that? Is it so that you can uh, stay on the same uh, status or social level as your friends? So people will look at you and think you're very impressive. So you can achieve more money, more accolades, more things on your resume, what, whatever it is. Uh, what's the motivation behind that? Or is it simply because those are just your responsibilities and maybe you've lost sight of the opportunities you need to just sit and rest and be present? And it, we can get, you know, you can be very, very busy on a calendar, but still be incredibly present to people. You know, this has often been said about very holy people, even people like uh, popes, like Pope John Paul II in particular. Uh, People would report that when you would meet him, it was as if you were the only person in the room. But I imagine he had an incredibly busy schedule of traveling, daily routines, different responsibilities he had for the church around the Vatican, for Vatican City. He was a very busy, calendared person, and yet he was still able to be totally present in the midst of that busyness. So it's not about how much you have going on. I think it's more about the motivation behind why you're doing what you're doing. And also, are you having the ability to stay in those places and recognize there's a God-given purpose and reason why you're in these places and why you're doing the things that you're doing? So as mundane as a task as running errands or getting coffee at Starbucks or dropping your children off might seem from day to day, recognize there's a divinely oriented reason that you are there in that place. So stay there. Be present there. Allow God to come to you. Allow God to speak to you. Allow you to be encountered by Jesus in those places. Secondly, pray. How is your prayer life in this season? You know, this is uh, in anticipation of Sunday, which is New Year's Day, a day where people make many resolutions for the year. And a lot of those often have to have, uh, a lot of those often have vain motivations. You know, I want to appear a certain way. I want to achieve these certain things this year. I want to have this type of body or this type of discipline or workout routine. I want to lose this much weight. Um, and, and those things are great. You know, we obviously want to be good stewards of our body and be healthy. Uh, but have you prioritized your spiritual life in that kind of conversation and those commitments that you're having uh, to yourself? When you think of maybe a word or a theme for this coming year, is it oriented toward deeper relationship with Jesus? Are you going to commit to more time in prayer? 
And I keep trying to, to, uh, to hammer down an hour every week, set aside in a holy hour for God. Yes, pray every day in the morning and in the evening before meals, however you want to do that. Set aside that time, calendar it into your schedule so you can connect with God every day. And whatever you do in that time, whether it's a rosary, Lexio Divina, the liturgy of the hours, the examine, spontaneous prayer, whatever it is, that's great. But also set aside an hour a week where you can be with Jesus in adoration, in a chapel, in a prayerful space. You can bring your needs to him, bring the needs from the week and the, and the coming week to him, the people you've prayed for, and spend time just in silence with him, being present in that moment, staying and praying, really being intentional with your time. Okay, we have to do that in all of our relationships, just like couples, they see each other every day, they have little conversations here and there, but they still have to schedule their date nights and their, their really great experiences and outings together. And those things still need to be a priority if that relationship is going to continue to grow and deepen. Same thing is true with God. So stay, pray, and lastly is obey. And obey, uh, obedience comes from the word obedire, which means to listen, which obviously has a lot to do with staying and praying as well. But it's not this kind of blind acceptance of whatever God says I'm just going to do without any knowledge of it. No, it's recognizing that I can trust in God because he is for my good and that the things he's revealed are things that will set me free. And whether I understand them or not is an opportunity and a challenge for me to learn. Okay, not to doubt in God, but to recognize I may have some difficulties, but those difficulties propel me to a place of understanding. And when I get to that place of understanding, I can more deeply listen, I can more deeply follow and trust in the Lord and obey the things he's asking me to do. So what are the responsibilities God has given you? What are the moral and ethical things that are required and asked of you as a Christian? Are you living in accordance with those things in terms of the conversations you have, the relationships you pursue, the type of work that you do, uh, the media that you consume, TV, music, movies, the type of jokes you tell, you know, the type of experiences you enjoy, uh, how you spend your time and your money? All of that needs to come up against that lens is, do these things obey God? Do these things align with the things God has asked of me and of all believers? So Mary offers us a really great trajectory, a really great lens through which to look at ourselves in the coming year as we maybe seek to do some resolutions, seek to think about how is God working in my life? Am I, have I allowed God to change my life? How do I proclaim that more openly like the shepherds did? How do I set aside, leave behind my nets in 2022 and pick up a new mission, method, or purpose of proclaiming the gospel to others in 2023? And what does that mean for my own life? and the ways that I stay, I pray, and I obey. Whatever the theme for your year might be, whatever resolutions that you make, let those things be the lens through which you see them and make them, so that 2023 will not just be a year about bettering you, because eventually you will die, and your soul is going to face Jesus. But bettering your eternal life and your eternal relationship with God now is the priority. And all of that will bless the other parts of your life, your mind, your body, your relationships, all those things. The good commitments and disciplines all come with one another. The more you start doing some of them, the easier the rest follow. And so prioritize those things in your life that allow Jesus to be born into your life each day. Recognize the way that the truth of who God is has changed your life. And if it hasn't, spend some time letting it. Spend some time really reflecting on like, do I even know Jesus? Have I encountered him? Has he changed my life in any particular way? And if he has, be able to articulate how he's done that so you can share it with others. And in the midst of that, whether 
you really feel like you've had this conversion moment or not, whether you're ready to share it with others or not, reflect on how you're being called to stay, pray, and obey in this coming year, this coming Christmas season, and these upcoming liturgical seasons of the rest of this liturgical year. I invite you to do that as I will do that for myself. And as we read this reading and reflect on it again this coming Sunday, I pray that new things will stand out, that new things will challenge you, and that you will continue to have this fervent desire to be in Scripture and allow the Lord to speak to you each and every day. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your word and for this time. Thank you for all that you've given us. We pray, Lord, that we would look intentionally at this coming year and ask ourselves, who do we want to be on January 1st, 2024? What do we want our spiritual lives, our physical health, our relationships, our mental health, what do we want all of that to look like January 1st, 2024, a little over a year from now? What are you calling us to do? To stay, to pray, to obey, to proclaim the good news, to respond to the gift of faith and salvation you've given us. What are you calling us to do to live in that more richly and to share it with others? We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us clearly and specifically this week as we reflect and pray on those things. And you would help us to make intentional, wise decisions and to make them little by little to not sign up for every discipline at once, to not try and dive in head first, but to dip our toe in and slowly step into the deeper pools of the spiritual life, one thing at a time, one day at a time, one commitment at a time. Give us the strength to do that. We cannot do it on our own. We need you, Jesus. So we acknowledge our weakness because when we are weak, we are strong because we know in our weakness, we need a savior. And that savior has come. He has been born to us. And the truth and the good news of that birth that life, that death and resurrection has touched each one of our lives in one way or another. And so we thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. And we pray that the rest of our lives may be a response in gratitude to that great gift of salvation you won for us. We pray all of these things in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.